First John chapter three, gonna take a look at the second part of that interesting phrase where the apostle John says, if our heart condemns us. So when our heart condemns us, boy, what do you do? And a lot of people don't want to be honest about how their heart feels at times. I mean, how many wants to actually tell how you really feel? There are some people that do and you want to run away from them. But there is a sense about how do we handle our heart when our heart is not just broken or not just hurting, but when it is stabbing and condemning us. So 1 John chapter 3, would you stand with me? We're going to read verses 19 to 22. 1 John just before the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. So 1st John chapter 3, we're going to read verses 19 to 22. The key verse is verse 20 that we're memorizing this month. All right, so we'll read it aloud together. 1st John chapter 3, verse 19. And hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Would you, would you please be seated? I already prayed, so we're just going to go right in. Now, there's a lot. I have probably over the last, I don't know, six weeks, collected about 20 pages of notes on the heart. And each time I studied the human heart, I threw up the hands going, what an impossible thing to try to understand. With all of the Bible and how it talks, if it weren't for the Bible, there'd be no understanding of the human heart. But this is so rich. There is, if you'll notice, go back in verse 19. He says something, a very special word. He says, hereby we know that we are of the truth. This is how we know we've got it right, finally, after all of the things we've tried and shall assure, that word assure, that's a word for have confidence. The book of 1 John is all about assurance. I mean, first look at chapter 5. Look at chapter 5 and verse, uh, verse 12. He that hath the Son hath what? Hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life. It's assurance and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Over and over and over, the, the, um, the book of 1 John, a small little uh, epistle there, assures the human heart because the, the heart is, is, is prone to give up and prone to uh, lose hope. So it goes on and it says, if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Now, Comparing that to real life, I have several examples, but I'm going to use one of them. And the first one is, how many of you have ever had a car, your first car maybe, or maybe it was a cheap car you had for a little while where the fuel gauge didn't work? Did anybody ever have one? I did. Actually, I had two of them, all right? There's two different times where the fuel gauge stopped working. One of them was simple. It was a simple fuse. The other one was the sensor in the tank had gone bad and it cost a fortune to fix. But, you know, when, you're, when the petrol tank is empty, that needle on my car pointed to E. When I pulled into the petrol station, I filled it up to the top, that E, that mark, that little lever uh, meter there, still pointed to the E. It was very frustrating. And uh, um, 
because that gauge was not reliable, a reliable indicator of how much fuel was in the tank, you have to learn to disregard that. Because say you're driving down the road, and you look down there and you go, oh, I'm out of fuel. Well, you just filled up last night. But it says you're out of petrol. Now, if you believed the gauge, if every time you got in the car and you looked at, the, t at the, the fuel gauge and it said empty, you'd never go anywhere, would you? So I'm, I'm hoping you get the idea. Your heart is like the gauge. Your heart doesn't tell you the truth. See, some of you, you're in church this morning, you're going to get your cup full. But then you'll get a text about something wrong. And you'll believe the text over what you hear from the Bible this morning. Do you see what I'm saying? And you'll believe the indicator. Your heart will tell you, oh, this is terrible. When you just come and you've been encouraged and you've been, you've been given hope and you're given confidence and assurance, and then something will happen. I had a car that broke down regularly. It was an old, 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 old Volvo. Okay, It shouldn't break down, but it did. And it cost me a lot of money to keep going. I just couldn't afford another car at the time. I had children, <laughs> and they're worth it. But the point being that I finally found a mechanic who loved Volvos, and he fixed them regularly. And I'm giving you a real brief uh, uh, example of it would always give me crazy sounds, and I would take it into the mechanic, and he would fix it, and then it would give me something else wrong. Well, M Mr. Lou, L-E-W, he was Chinese. Mr. Lou took that Volvo, and one day he fixed it. He actually replaced the engine. He said, now you won't have any more problems. Well, I believed him, and I'm driving down the road, and I noticed a sound. Guess what my heart did? It sank to the floor. And I was so upset, and I was so disappointed. I just spent a fortune on a new engine, and I'm driving this thing, and it had this awful sound. Well, I took it back to him. He said, you know what the problem is? You're so used to it being a problem that you thought that that was a normal sound. This is the sound of a good engine. <laughs> but my heart told me that the car was broken. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if I had believed my heart, I would have thrown the car away if I really had thought about it. My point is, the gauges in life are often off. They're often broken. They're often not telling you the truth. <clears throat> so when feelings are great, we're confident. We, we live life to the fullest. But when our feelings are down, we're that something's running low. The problem is that our feelings are a gauge that are often broken. When you're in a season of depression, your feelings will give you the wrong information, folks. Like a broken petrol gauge, depression gives you a constant message of emptiness. Even though you just read your Bible, even though you just cast all your cares upon the Lord, your heart still says, I'm empty. Don't believe your heart. You probably will read that heart in various ways. Like, how many of you ever felt like I'm a total failure? I am so stupid. You ever felt that way? Now, you probably, it may be true, <laughs> but you may conclude my life is a wreck. No one loves or respects me. I just can't get right with God. Why even try to get up today? What, you do when you, uh, what do you do when you realize your emotion gauges are broken? That's what we're going to talk about. In other words... How do we find out that there is a greater and more truthful and more powerful indicator than our heart? What God says about who we are and our standing in Christ is a greater reality. You should know the truth and the truth makes you free. Don't believe your heart. You need to believe what Jesus 
said. <clears throat> Did you know God already knows everything about you? Did you see the next part of that verse? Look at verse 20. It says, for if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And he what? He knoweth all things. So does he know you? Does he know all of your faults? Does he know everything that you brought when you came to him, brought from your past? Does he know what you're going to do in the future? He already knew it all. And yes, he still said, I so love the world that I gave my son for you. So the greater truth is like an arm wrestling. You ever arm wrestle? Can you imagine if I took Brendan here and I said, Brendan, let's arm wrestle. Now, who do you think is going to win? Better say me. <clears throat> but Brendan and I, all right, in that arm wrestling, he may have all of the desire. You could believe, oh, Brendan's going to win, or you could believe mighty Craig Ledbetter would win. Well, in our heart, we kind of forget God is stronger. God is more powerful. God is greater. <clears throat> His faithfulness does not depend upon our feelings. Now, evidently, um, uh, our, uh, let me just rush ahead here. It is a sad fact that our heart is very good at condemning us. <clears throat> Did you notice? Now, in 1 John, we could have just gone verse by verse. I've thought about all kinds of different directions to do this. I'm just going to focus on this, these verses to, to get to the truth here. All of 1 John chapter 3 shows the things that our heart needs to assure us. So you need to go back there and you'll see that it talks about loving the brethren because I need to love the brethren. But when brethren upset me and get me where I get fed up with the brethren, can you imagine if the Bible came along and said, if your brethren condemn you? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that if my brethren, because there are judgmental brethren, aren't there? doesn't say if your brethren condemn you. doesn't say if your family condemned. doesn't say if the world condemn you. Obviously, God is greater than all those things. The real enemy is when my heart condemns me. I need to know God is greater than my heart. I know God is greater than my, my, the words that other humans may say. It's what about what my own heart is saying. When my own heart is accusing me. What does it feel like when your heart is condemning you? Well, you feel guilty. And as I said last time, I said, that's a good thing. If you don't feel guilty about your sin, you're not saved. And if you are saved, you're as hard as a rock and you should be very afraid, very afraid of God's judgment because God breaks hard hearts. You feel crushed. You feel gutted like a fish on the table, emptied of all your life. You feel overwhelmed, beaten, knocked down, unable to get up. When your heart condemns you, you you. you, you you're living without hope and you feel like you're ruined. It's unbearable. But what we're learning is that God, and this is the truth, is greater than our heart. Here's the question. Will you believe it? Listen again. Look at verse John 3.20. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Do you know what people believe? They believe what they feel. They believe what they fear. And they believe what they accomplish. So some people, and it's not a bad thing to have a list of accomplishments. You ought to do things and build things and accomplish things. There are too many starters and very few finishers. But if you only have joy when you can sit back and say, look at what I've done, you're going to still be miserable because your heart will still say you didn't do enough. I find that people spend a lot of money on weddings. You ever been to a real fancy wedding? I went to one wedding one time. They spent 30 this was 34 years. It was just after Nita and I got married. We went up to New Jersey. 
And we were invited to a wedding and without the food. The, the limo, I don't know what they spent on the food. The, the limos, they had, they had um, uh, a, well, maybe they did include the food. I don't know. They spent $30,000 on that one day. Okay. I'd never heard of such money. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you how much I spent on our wedding. Okay. <laughs> now, um, when, when, when we left that wedding, I'm sure a lot of people said, surely that is a great start. That's the way that they're going to stay married. I have no idea if that couple is still married or not. That big ceremony doesn't make a, a marriage, does it? I've seen people have the most ornate ceremonies and rituals of baptism and, 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 and religious things that go on thinking that that will make good people. Rituals, ceremonies, outward expressions of grandeur and, and, and power do nothing for the human heart. Because when times get hard and it's many years later, that's when you find those marriages fail. You find depression set in and the anger replaces all the joy. And that is not the Christian life. Now, last time I told you about an example. We don't, uh, uh, we don't uh, want to look at it again. I just want you to see and remind yourself because we're going to look at how he recovered. Peter, after denying that he even knew Jesus, cursing his name, and Jesus hearing it the whole time as Jesus is being falsely accused and beaten and mocked for those two hours, three hours before sunrise, Peter said some of the most vile, the most hurtful things and Jesus heard it. And when Jesus looked at him at that, when the cock crew, it killed Peter. Peter was condemned in his heart and he ran off and he wept like probably none of us have ever wept in our life. Peter felt low. Now, how do you recover from that? How do, how do you recover from that? How do you, it should have stopped Peter dead in his tracks, stopped him from ever trying to live the Christian life. Now, let me take a step back and tell you how, do you, how do you know that your heart is condemning you? Okay, Because we do get hard. We do become sort of um, uh, blind to our own heart's actions. But uh, there are two dozen signs, and I picked four of the biggest ones. You find faults in others. When your heart is condemning you, you'll start condemning others. That is a sign. And Jesus said, don't do that. Jesus said, love one another. Jesus said, have forbearance, which means lots of putting up with. Because when you have a critical spirit, when you have a, a condemning spirit of others, it's because your heart is condemning you. Another thing is you're constantly grumpy. Now, ladies, don't look at your husband and go, that's you. But when you are constantly grumpy, it's because your heart, your heart is, is, is stabbing itself. And you may not realize it, but that is a sign that there's no joy in the heart because the, the heart has turned on itself. You ever seen a dog chasing its tail? All right. It's funny when the dog is chasing its tail and then when the dog bites the tail and the dog goes, oh, and he realizes that's me. <laughs> but we... We allow our heart to tear itself apart before we go, that's me. And we don't realize it. Third, there's hidden sin here. Not always, but when your heart is condemning itself, it's because there is something wrong. And one of the signs is that you are hiding some sin and you're on purpose hiding that sin. And you don't want anybody to know about it. And so you live Hiding that sin, that secret sin that you do that nobody else knows about, and then you start, and everybody else is wrong. 
but it's really just a reflection of you are doing something you shouldn't be doing. And then lastly, somebody comes along and tries to encourage you and you just tear them down. Say, I don't want to hear that. The point is nobody can help you. Only God can. When the heart is condemning, stabbing, and cutting, and making you feel so low, somebody tries to help, and you go, I don't want to listen. You just walk away. Let me tell you, only God can help you. And we're going to talk about that. So how does a Christian survive a condemning heart? How do we deal with it as a Christian? Here it is. We don't. We don't manage our own heart. Only God does. Did you notice your verse back here in 1 John 3.20? For if our heart condemn us, counseling is greater than your heart. Is that what it says? If our heart condemns us, some drug will overwhelm and fix the heart. Is that what it says? Oh, get you some good friends. Now these, listen, you may need a counselor. You may need to change and get some better friends. Uh, But look at what it says. If our heart is condemning us, who do we need to turn to? God. Look at, the, look at the, the two different focuses in the verse. Let me look at it there. For if our heart condemn us. So who's the first arm of the two wrestles, two wrestlers? It's our own heart. And believe me, if you've ever tried to wrestle your own heart, it's a losing battle. Your heart will win every time. When you want to sin, you will sin. When you want to get angry, you will get angry. When you want to walk away from God, you will walk away. Your heart is super, super strong. And then after it has sinned, after it has walked away from God, after it has, has done what it knows it shouldn't, it will then turn against itself and condemn you for doing that. And you're doomed. But there's another part. So we have our heart in this verse, very powerful force. And some of the ways, the heart is a good powerful force. We talked about that. Without the heart, you can't love. Without the heart, you can't get saved. But there's another powerful force. Which is the other powerful force in the verse? God. Think about it for a second. You can either give all your attention to how your heart feels. You can remember all of its memories. You can go over all of its brokenness. You can look at all of its scars. Or you can focus all your attention on God. Which one's greater? God. Which one knows more? You ever had a, had a time when you were so afraid? I mean, all the things go through your mind. What could be wrong? I remember, I, like I say, when I was driving and the car gave me this sound, I thought this was a... This was a bad sound. You know what went through all my mind? All the money I spent on this stupid car. And I thought, oh, this is just another problem. And I was miserable going to work that day because I knew it probably was going to break down on my way home. And my heart ruined my day because my heart was going over all the reasons why Mr. Lou was another fraud. You know what? When I took it to him, he says, no, you got a great engine. It's just actually sounding right for the first time in years. Mm. Folks, you can't handle the accusations, the guiltiness, the stabbings, the screamings of our heart against you. You can't ignore your guilty heart either. Not for very long. God won't let you ignore it. If you are saved, God will not let you ignore your heart saying, Led better, you're wrong. You can try and try, but God won't let you. Sin will never let you get away with it. It has to be dealt with. Thankfully, the God of heaven is greater than all of my feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
Who knows the depths of the heart? But God already knows you. He knows how you feel and he knows some things about reality. All I know is what I feel. All I know is what maybe I can see or what I'm experiencing at that moment. God sees the bigger picture, doesn't he? Do you know what David says in Psalm 119? I think David wrote Psalm 119. I may be wrong. But in Psalm 119, he says four times, it is good that I have been afflicted. That's a strange statement. Normally, when we're going through an affliction, we think the worst, and our heart tells us, oh, this is the end. But then David goes on and he says that I might learn thy precepts, I might learn thy word. And I'll tell you this, can I teach you about studying the Bible? Read your Bible every day. Read four chapters every day. Finish your Bible every year. Let me tell you, it'll go right over your head all the time. Stuff in there, I'm just finishing the Minor Prophets. There's some great stuff about the second coming of Christ. There's some great stuff about the, the, um, the promise of the suffering of the Messiah. Some great stuff about the millennium. But there's a lot of stuff that... And there's a lot of stuff, even in the New Testament, you're reading along, you go, I don't understand one thing that just got said. And you won't understand it till you're in the dirt. And until you're at your bottom, at the last, and you go, that's what that scripture promises. That's what that means. In your, when your heart is saying, I need to give up, God is saying, no, you need to take what you're going through to learn this book because your life will turn around at that moment. God is greater than all my feelings. God is greater than all my past. Aren't you glad that the people in this room don't know all about you? They don't know all of your past. Don't need to, amen. God does, though. And God is greater, and he, he actually takes a sinner. We were talking last night about a, if you're a solicitor and you're having to defend a criminal. Can you imagine how embarrassing? I don't want to defend somebody who's guilty. And I reminded Gavin last night, I said, Jesus does. He defends us, doesn't he? Because we're guilty, aren't we? So it's okay. <laughs> it's this idea. God took all of my past into consideration when he loved me. And he says, I'll take care of all of that. I won't. There is therefore now no condemnation to me because he took all of my past and put it on his son. All of my stupidity. He knows all things. He knows how stupid I am, how dumb I am. You know what animal he compares us to? He does not compare us to a lion. He doesn't compare us to, um, you know, a bird. He compares us to sheep. You know what sheep are? They're almost the dumbest animals on the planet. The most dumbest animals are penguins. First of all, they live in Antarctica. Number two, when one jumps off into the water, all of them jump off. Okay, but land, uh, uh, sheep are very susceptible to just go wherever other sheep are going. They'll eat whatever's in front of them and they'll die. So when God looks at us, he sees how stupid we are and he says, I know. <laughs> I know. He knows you. He knows all things. Don't be surprised when the devil tries to remind you of something stupid in your past or he all of a sudden convicts you because you say something stupid or you do something and I use the word stupid I don't know maybe there's a better word to use I don't know but when you when you are reminded that now your heart begins to convict you and you go oh I just blew it remember God is greater and he can make up for it if you just humble yourself and trust him there's one other thing all my future you got to remember I believe uh, that, that the Bible from start to finish says that Jesus saves not me my future is filled with failure. 
The moment I got saved, I did not become righteous in my works. I became righteous in my standing. I became a child of God. First John chapter 3 tells us what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God now. I'm not just, I'm not just a, a friend. I'm not just a, a, a visitor to God. I am now in the family of God. And guess what? I, he's not going to get rid of me any more than you would get rid of your own son or your own daughter. All my future is taken care of. I am eternally secure no matter how much I mess up, no matter how much I sin. There is no condemnation. Even when my heart condemns me, God won't. You ought to say amen. So we've got to learn to trust that God is greater. That's where I'm going to go this morning, all right? Um, we have to learn to trust that God is greater. And we need an example of this, okay? Um, go to 2 Chronicles. <clears throat> Second Chronicles, before Psalms, go back, back, back to Second Chronicles chapter 20. Second Chronicles chapter 20, and these 15 verses are really cool. Second Chronicles chapter 20, I want you to see a king named Jehoshaphat. And there's a great example of trusting God more than his own heart. First, uh, sorry, Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab, which was an outside country, they were enemies of Israel, and the children of Ammon, more enemies, and with them other beside the Ammonites came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So a fight is about to happen. Then there came them that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea, on this side Syria, and behold, they be in Hazaron, Hazazaron, Tamar, which is in Jedi. Now get the idea, it's like somebody, say you're at school and there's this bully, and, and that bully picks on you at school. Well, you're sitting at home and there's a knock at the door and your mom says, there's a guy at the door named Clifford. <laughs> you go, oh, Clifford's my bully. You would be terrified. That's how they felt. Verse 3, and Jehoshaphat, what's the next word? Verse 3, 2 Chronicles 23, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. He proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathers themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. This was not just something where he said, oh, well, we'll go to prayer. No, no. They were driven to prayer. Their heart just crumbled. And Jehoshaphat changed what he was looking at. What was Jehoshaphat first looking at? I'm sure he got up on the precipice of the walls of Jerusalem and he looked out and he could see the army gathering out there and he says, we need to change what we're looking at. Now, I'll be quite plain with you. The news right now has become the most important thing in everybody's life. Everybody is stuck on social media like never before. They're watching everything on coronavirus. They're watching the news. They're watching politics. They're watching about the American election. They are obsessed. And why is everybody stressed? And actually, they're not able to hand out a gospel tract. They're not concerned about being in church. They're not reading their Bibles. Why? Their heart has been obsessed now with something going on in this world. And Jehoshaphat says, stop, stop. We're going to pray. And he got everybody's attention on the greater force, on somebody mightier. So verse, um, uh, verse 4, he gathered themselves. In verse 5, listen to how he, he talks about 
Um, the, well, let me read verse 5. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. So they're at church, so to say. Verse 6, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers. Who's he talking about? Is he, is he trying to make a deal with the enemy? Is he trying to negotiate with the Moabites and the Ammonites? No, he's talking to God. His attention is now on God. He says, O Lord God of our fathers, art thou not God in heaven? Aren't you the great God in heaven? And rulest thou not over all the kingdoms of the heathen? In thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? Art thou not our God? who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gave us to the seed of Abraham, thy friend forever. And they dwell therein, your people dwell here and have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, and this is your promise, God. If when evil cometh upon us as a sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, if we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. And now behold, the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom thou wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, when, we, when they, Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say, notice how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company. Did you notice that? Are they ready to fight? Is there, are their armies gathered? Have they, have they got their swords ready? Have they got their shields ready? He says, we have no might against this great company that cometh against us. Neither know we what to do. You ever felt like that? I don't know what to do. Well, listen to what he says. But our eyes, please circle these words, are upon thee. Aren't those, isn't that a great verse? Our eyes were on our enemies. Our eyes were on our insufficiency. But our eyes now are on thee. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. This was a deep, big deal where they got everybody together and they're all just sitting there. Verse 14, a prophet stands up, Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mathaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph. He came, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou, King Jehoshaphat, listen to me. Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. I'll show you the one other verse here. Look down in verse uh, 17. Ye shall, know, ye shall not need to fight in this battle. <laughs> Set yourselves where you just stand, ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. I can't tell you. The point is, Jehoshaphat here is, is learning. When, when times are troublesome, everybody's afraid. Jehoshaphat changed what he was looking at. And you cannot manage your heart, but you can manage what you're looking at. You can manage your attention. And he remembered how mighty and great God is. From verse 1 of Genesis all the way to verse 21 of Revelation chapter 22, you know what the whole deal is? God. It's about God. There are a lot of churches that spend a lot of time talking about people, talking about how God loves, and he does. But they put the emphasis on us instead of 
how mighty God is. And when our eyes are always on us, and maybe we're a few, how, let me encourage you, before you leave today, go next door. There is a cup of tea there for you. But there's a special scripture on the wall next door we put up in our fellowship hub, we're calling it. We've got chairs and tables and tea. But there's a special verse up there. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said, there am I in the midst. And I want you to see, if I looked out and I only saw two or three of you, my heart may say, Craig, you're a failure. I felt that. But Jesus then reminds me, that's just enough. So I got to remember not the numbers of people that come. I, do not re- don't, I don't need to be remembering about all the problems that are going on. I need to remember God. I need to focus on him. Remember, he's God, not me. He invited everybody to pray and to trust more than their fears, and God took over. You can't beat it. Folks, let me ask you, how, do you know how Peter handled his condemning heart? Do you know how? Go to, go to Mark. Gospel of Mark, chapter 16. Remember, Peter, it says that he went out and he wept bitterly, vehemently. He was violently heaving in, in, in sorrow for how, how he had done so wrong, which is not a bad thing. But how does he recover? Look at verse 6. He, an angel, this is the, the, the women have come to the empty tomb. The angel is sitting on the top of the tomb and he's looking out of those ladies. He says, you're looking for the living among the dead. And in verse 16, he said unto them, be not affrightened. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. It's empty. But go your way. Tell his disciples. Now you and I, if, if Jesus had hurt you, you would have made sure that you left out Peter. If you had a friend who behind your back tore you down and, and made, made you look like nothing and actually just, just said and did things that destroyed you, you would write them out of any kind of relationship. But look at what the angel says. Tell his disciples, and he made sure he mentioned one name. What name was it, do you think? And tell Peter. Don't forget to let Peter know he's welcome. He's forgiven. When Jesus cried out and he said, Father, forgive them, he included Peter. He didn't say, except Peter. I'll, ne- I'll hold that against Peter for the rest of his life. Thank God he doesn't do that. Mm. Peter was welcomed back. He was loved. He was forgiven because of grace. Not because Peter had goodness or faith or ability to keep from falling. Peter could never pick himself up. Psychologically, he was a treasure mine for a counselor because somebody would have to spend years trying to help Peter recover. What recovered Peter was a woman coming to Peter saying, Jesus wants to meet you up in Galilee. Jesus is looking for you. He wants to give you a new task, a new job. He's got a whole world to go reach. He wants you to go reach. And to Peter, it was so liberating, so so life-changing that his heart's condemnation was gone because Jesus did. Remember when they dragged a woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and threw her down in front of Jesus, and Jesus said, I do not condemn her. Can you imagine the power of that forgiveness for that woman's life? It's available to us. So, folks, Peter didn't recover on his own. Peter didn't handle and manage his heart problem. Jesus managed it. 
I hope you realize when you are sitting in church, we're having a surgery. Something is happening. I'm not doing anything except just preaching the truth. You're not doing anything but just listening. But when you believe it, something happens that the, all the condemnation, all of the hurts, the scars, they just disappear. And you go, whoo, I'm okay. I'm okay. So, so what does 1 John 3.20 say? In a, it mean, in a summary, in a summary, it means, number one, you need God. I don't want to ask, but I want you to think for a second. I want you to be honest. If your heart condemns you in this statement, good. Don't raise your hands, but I want to ask, how many of you have a daily walk with God? How many have a time where before you do anything or you make time during the day where you stop, you pull out your Bible, you have a prayer list, you have some time, nobody can bother you, you're not looking at social media, you're not doing anything, and you're saying you're crying out to God. Folks, you need God. That is more important than church. You need a daily walk with God. Your heart constantly Listen, your own heart, when it's condemning you, is telling you, and you need to get me fixed. <laughs> you need God's help. You need his presence in your life. You need his strength. You need his peace. You need his wisdom. You need his righteousness and his grace. Did you know the Bible says if any man lack wisdom, what should we do? Ask. Because he makes it very easy because we need it. Don't be a fool and think that you don't need God. Too many people do that. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. So you need God. Secondly, you need to trust him. You need to trust him. Trust is what? Trust is, is the ability of the heart to be at rest. Do you know what they do on, on surgery tables when they're about to open up somebody? You know what they do? they give them an injection that knocks them out because if they're awake, they would fight that knife, wouldn't they? Okay? But you know, most of life doesn't give us morphine. Most of life doesn't give us, we try to go to drugs or we turn to a drink or we, we try to find some way to numb the fear. But let me tell you, when you trust enough to lean back, how many ever been in a dentistry and the dentist pulls out, why do dentists... Um, Needles still look like Frankenstein needles. How come they don't look nice? I mean, they, they're metal, they're cold, they hurt. And when they bring that up, and you close your eyes, and you just trust it's going to get over. Those are stupid examples of when I'm facing something and I'm afraid. I can't handle my fear, but I can trust. Does that make sense? Let me be real plain. Say if I got a say if I got a um, a, uh, a note from the doctor. We did your we did a, a, a the last blood scan. We did a blood last blood test, and uh, Mr. Lebanon, we see some 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 uh, concerning indicators. And I sit down, and he said, "I think you have leukemia, leukemia." Like my heart's gonna sink. My granddad died of leukemia. Can you imagine how any one of us would feel if we got bad news like that? You have leukemia. We're going to have to try, and they always say try. We're going to have to try this procedure. We're going to have to do this or whatever. Listen, I cannot change how I will feel at that moment. You cannot just say, oh, Craig, 
Look on the bright side of life. That's not possible. I, I have to accept that I'm going to feel that way, but I don't have to trust how I feel. That's why after that doctor gives me all of his plans, believe me, I will go to prayer. And I will put my face before God and I say, God, my eyes are upon you. Amen? That's what Christians do. That's how come we have this hope. Because I don't, that's, that indicator, that doctor doesn't know everything, does he? That test doesn't tell everything. So I look and my eyes are on Jesus. I don't know how many, I, I, I don't know of any time that we do not have to trust the Lord. Do you know of a time you don't have to trust the Lord? <laughs> Is there a time you don't have to trust the Lord? I don't know of any. Maybe, maybe there are times where you felt like you didn't need it. But I bet there is no time that we shouldn't be trusting the Lord. Now, to trust God means to accept what he says as true and right and good over everything else. Don't let your heart decide what you do and what you don't do. Yes, you got to let it feel. I just let my heart feel what it feels. More, uh, some, some Monday mornings, I feel very depressed. You know why? Because I'm tired. Because my mind's going over so-and-so wasn't there in church. And, oh, man, I said that, and that was stupid to say. And, you know, your mind, your own heart just, mm, 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 just stabbing away. <laughs> well, I'll let my heart feel what it feels, but I'll go ahead and just do what God asked me to do anyway. I'll just go ahead and minister to my wife, mow the grass, Fix breakfast. I, I just, listen, my heart's going to feel what it feels, amen? But my heart's not going to be allowed to tell me what I'm supposed to do. I let God do that. I listen and I yield to the will of God. Romans say, you know, why, why would you do that, Craig? Why, your heart is telling you to quit. Your heart is telling you you did wrong. Your heart is, fine, that's all fine. But I believe Romans 8, 28 that says, and we know that God works all things together for so all things means all things. So I'm not going to let my heart stop my pathway, my journey, when I know God's going to work it all together. I also believe Ecclesiastes 3.11. What does that say? He makes everything beautiful in his time. So I just got to be patient, just keep going. So when my heart tells me, I mean, when my heart tells me to give up, that I'm a failure, when I feel like I failed as a father or as a husband, and believe me, there are some times where I, I look at my kids and I go, they turned out better than they should have. <laughs> I don't know how they turned out so well, man. Because if I was honest about my parenting skills, I'd never want to talk about them. I, I wish I could have somebody come in and, and teach about parenting and teach about marriage. Because if I had to talk about it all, I'd be talking about, well, this, we did this wrong and we did this wrong and we did this wrong, amen. When I, feel that, when I feel that I failed in my, as a father, as a husband, or I failed in my preaching or teaching, when my heart smites me for a wrong attitude of sin that keeps coming up in my life, I already know my prayers are hindered. I don't need my wife telling me, your prayers are probably hindered. <laughs> but I can trust that God is greater than my heart. And I can look unto Jesus. I can look unto Jesus. Do you know... Um, uh, usually we make most of our decisions in life based upon how our heart feels. We stop doing things because we just don't feel like it anymore. 
But the Christian says, wait a minute, what does God say? What does God promise? What did Jesus do when he experienced great disappointments and great sorrow? Did you know that the Bible is filled with people who are living examples showing when their heart gave out, when they should have quit, they kept going. They just didn't believe how they felt. Now, some of them did, but I love this hymn. My faith has found a resting place, not in device nor creed. I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Where's my eyes? On devices or things or creeds and statements of churches or on the living one who died for me. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. There's a, there's a remembrance that comes back and say, all right, I failed. But he didn't. And I'm trusting him. Learning how to trust God is the most important work of the Christian life. It's like learning to trust scuba diving. I almost got needed to go scuba diving. Okay, I almost got it. <laughs> but it is terrifying, folks, because people do die underwater, okay? But did you know when, when my son Joshua and I took, we actually, it was like a seven-hour thing preparing. We had, we, we had to learn to put on this respirator, carry this he heavy set of tanks and uh, goggles and wetsuit and everything. And then you get in the water. And let me tell you, the first 15 minutes, I panicked. Because you believe with all your heart you're going to drown. But you, <sighs> I'm okay. <sighs> and it took time before I started to trust that I was going to be okay. And the point is, if I didn't trust that equipment, I would never enjoy. I got to see octopus. I got to see starfish moving. I got to see, we were 25 meters underwater when I did it there several years ago. It was brilliant, but I had to get to the place where I trusted the equipment. And you know, if we learned to trust the equipment, the truth, we would live far more joyful instead of in fear. There's no turning back in the Christian life, folks. Israel couldn't go back to Egypt. The Christian can't go back to the world. If you do, you're going to be more miserable than ever before. There's no turning back, only forward. Go to 2 Corinthians and we'll finish 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. Just a couple of scriptures here to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. What does that mean? What would that imply? Pressed out of measure. We were, we were squeezed out of ourselves. Everything, we talk about pressure. He said, I felt pressure. It was beyond measure, above strength, meaning that it was beyond our strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. They gave up on living. But we had already the sentence of death in ourselves. You ever hear of a judge giving a death sentence? Paul says, I already died. I already have the death sentence on me. When I got saved, my life is gone. He says, we had the sentence of death in ourselves already that we should not trust in ourselves now, but trust in, the, in God which raises the dead who delivered us from so great a death 
and doth right now deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us still. Go to chapter 3 and verse 5, still in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. Verse 4 says, And such trust have we through Christ to Godward. It's because of Christ that I can trust God. Verse 5, Not that we are sufficient, sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. There is somebody who says, Brother Labette, I did great. So-and-so, you did great. When it comes to real life, I did nothing. I trust in nothing that I can do. We are, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think any of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. That's why we're told constantly to look unto me and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth in Isaiah. That's why we're told by Jesus to come unto me. Jesus said, come unto me. Don't trust yourself. Don't trust your priest. Don't trust Mary. Don't trust your, uh, your, your, your family. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Psalm 56, 3 says this. And I'll finish with this. When I am afraid... What part of me is usually afraid? My heart. I will trust in thee. I will look to you and I'll trust you. Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. All my heart's usually afraid, so I say, nope, you're going to trust God. And that fixes the human heart. Here's the conclusion. What does 1 John 3, 20 mean? It means trust God, trust God, trust God. Have a relationship with him. Because if you're living from day to day fearful, it's because you're not spending time with him and trusting him. You may be reading your Bible, but you're not, you're not accepting it as what you've got to trust. Last thought. Are you prone to trust your emotional gauges? I know I am. I was thinking about it yesterday. It was, it was something I was supposed to do. I didn't want to do it because I was afraid. I was afraid that I, I needed to go talk to somebody. And I didn't want to talk to him. I figured they might be mad at me. I don't know. <laughs> and I was afraid. You ever, you ever have that? Are you trusting your heart? God is greater than your heart. Stop trying to manage your heart because only God can. Thankfully, God is greater. You and I need God every day. Very simple thoughts today. You don't need more money. You don't need more friends. You don't need more holidays or more praises. You need God in your life. He needs to saturate your thinking. He needs to saturate your heart. You need his help. You need his grace. Come boldly before the throne of grace that you might find mercy to help in time of need. Don't be a fool and think you don't need God. You need God and you need to trust him. See, somebody says, well, I go to church. Well, you think you get God at church like you pick up at a, at a super value. No, you don't do that. You need to go to God in prayer and say, Lord, I need you. That's a wonderful, when somebody comes and says, like when Nita comes and says, I just need you, that makes my day. And when you say to God, I just need you, that makes his day. Trust him and look unto him. Constantly keeping your eyes only on him, not on the enemy, not on your own heart. Have you done that? Have you repented of trusting your religion? Your priest and your professors and your friends and your own heart. I got a guy I was talking to on Friday. You, you meet the greatest collection of, of different kinds of people. And this guy was so, he, he says, you know, he said a lot of nasty things. And um, I said, what are you trusting? I'm trusting evolution. That's what he said, all right. 
I'm trusting the scientists. And I, I kind of took it, I says, okay, what has science given us? Well, they've given us the truth. I said, really, really? Did you know science gave us a bomb called the atomic bomb? A lot of people died with that thing. And science gave us all kinds of chemicals that keep going into the, the um, environment. And now we're trying to clean it up and everything. Science isn't all it says. Sometimes science says one thing and then they change their mind. You need, a, you need something uh, greater. Because right now they're telling you from ape, that you came from apes. But you need somebody that tells you you came from God and you're important to God. He says, I hate Christians. I says, well, guess what? Christians love you. Boy, he just kept trying to start an argument with me. But the truth is this, folks. He's trusting somebody he thinks is a gauge that's telling the truth. And that gauge of evolution and science is empty. I found a gauge that always works. And it's the Holy Spirit of God. And if you're not saved, you can be saved today. Cry out to Jesus Christ. You can be born again right now. Let's bow in prayer. Stand with me. Bow your head and decide right now to accept that your own measures for success and your own measures of failure are broken gauges. It doesn't matter whether you succeed, if you're prime minister, Taoiseach, or you're the worst drunk on the street. That doesn't matter. Look to Jesus. Ask him to forgive you and save you from your sinful past. Ask him to hold on to you forever. And guess what? He will. Father, I love you. I thank you for loving me. And that's the reason why I do love you, because you first loved me. I didn't have to do anything to impress you. I didn't have to do anything to convince you to love me. You already just loved me. And you knew me. And I ask you now, God, that I would, like every one of us, I would, every time my heart condemns me, not just when others do, but when my heart, my own heart is killing me, that I would put my eyes back on you and believe your word, believe your plan, believe your will, believe that you are patiently doing something bigger than I could ever imagine, and that I would just be faithful. Just, I can't go back. Lord, help me to stay always passionately going forward because that's the only life to live. There is so much if I just would trust you. And I do. If there's anybody in this room who's not saved, God, today's the day. Don't put it off. Only trust Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.